uh, we are looking at um, Second Kings 5, uh, which is a series that we're kind of going through. Um, I'm going to do something slightly different today, so uh, I'm going to kind of, it's quite a long passage, it's the whole chapter, um, and rather than read it from sort of front to back, I'm going to uh, summarize it as a kind of story. So kind of, you know, settle down and kind of hear the story so you kind of capture the main bits. And um, just to make it kind of particularly uh, easy to follow, because there's quite a lot of different characters. It's like trying to, you know, you're watching a, a new series or something and you're trying to say, no, who's, uh, oh yeah, he's married to him and okay, that's the son and that's the son. So, okay, that, who's the police officer? You know, you're trying to work that out. And uh, so what I've done here is I've just... Uh, very helpfully, George has kind of put some, together some, some pictures so we can kind of follow it through. So um, I, I'm just going to pray and then we're going to start. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you're here with us. Thank you for a great time worshipping you. And we just want to keep just plunging into you and just adoring you and loving you. And Lord, speak to us through this in Jesus' name. So this is about uh, four characters, okay? A crooked servant an out-of-touch king, a pagan who gets wonderfully healed and saved, and an insignificant young girl who God uses to touch a nation. It's definitely a story about contrasts. The story's in two parts, okay? And I'm going to tell the first part first and then give application, and then I'm going to read the second part and make application from that, so you know where that is. So just if you're following it in your Bibles, uh, chapter 5, 1 to 14 is the first bit, and 15 to the end is the next bit. Okay, the story centers around the foreign king of Aram and his chief army captain, Naaman, who is called a valiant warrior, but he also has leprosy. Okay, or certainly a serious skin condition. There's also Naaman's wife, and she has a young servant girl waiting on her who has been forcibly captured from Israel. She sees her master's, the one with the spotty face, uh, disease and mentions to her mistress that if only he could meet the well-known prophet in Samaria, who we know as Elisha, He'd be healed. So, Mrs. Naaman talks to her husband, and uh, Naaman then goes and tells the king. And the king decides to send a letter to the king of Israel in the hands of Naaman. And with it, 10 talents of silver, 16,000 shekels of gold, and Surprisingly for us, but probably very practical in those days, 10 changes of clothes. <laughs> All as a goodwill gift, hoping that he will cure him of his leprosy. So, the king of Israel gets all these things, and Naaman turns up, and he is distraught. Okay? He's read the letter, and you know what he does? He tears his clothes. He's thinking that the king of Aram, this pagan king, is purposely picking a fight with him. He's kind of saying, you know, 
come on, I'm giving you all this cash and clothes and stuff, and you know, I want you to heal my army captain. He thinks, ah. Um, and this is what he says. He says, am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Well, Elisha hears about the king tearing his clothes and sends word to him to send the foreign leper to him so that he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So this happens, and Naaman goes to Elisha, but instead of having a private meeting with Elisha, this is what he expects, um, he's instructed by Elisha's servant to go and wash seven times in the Jordan. And if he does that, his flesh will be made clean. Naaman, you'd expect to be absolutely excited, but he is furious at being fobbed off like this and says, in verse 11, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And then Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him to. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. That's the young boy. <laughs> great. <clears throat> this is a great story. What we see is God's miracle working power is demonstrated to a heathen king through his army captain's illness and complete healing. You know, there's not many instances in the Old Testament where there's a, there's a, a real connection with other countries in that sort of way but this is one of them and you know what God uses a young girl to change a nation she is young and a believer from Israel but has been captured by this foreign pagan nation if anyone has a reason to be angry and bitter this girl has it. Her master has this serious skin condition. We're not sure. The Bible uses the word leprosy, but it, you know, it, it could be some kind of skin condition, okay? Um, that clearly, as we'll see at the end of the story, kind of makes the person kind of white. So you'd expect, what would you be expecting? You'd expect this girl who's been captured and forced into kind of slave labor to be rubbing her hands and quite excited that her master, yeah, jolly well serves him right, skin condition, may it get worse, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's kind of what you'd expect. And yet, instead, she has this, this totally different attitude. 
and she actually says, I know somebody who actually could help sort all this out. She tells her mistress, you know, there's a prophet and he could heal this. Why don't, you know, if you went there, this whole thing could get sorted out. There's wonderful heart there. I hear that heart of this young girl. No bitterness. Real care, concern. There's no self-pity. And she doesn't revert to that thing of just feeling like, man, I'm just this captured servant girl. I mean, you know, I must be really low down on the pecking order here. She believes that she is a child of the king, the Lord. And she has that heart about her that even in this captive state, she's actually telling about the greatness of God. Yeah? It's a wonderful heart attitude. Maybe you feel a bit like that sometimes. Life kind of, oh, you don't know how tough it is. It's so mean what's happened to me, blah, blah, blah. We all face it. And we have a choice at any moment to either get all bitter and chewed up and like, that's the last thing I'm going to do is going to kind of start to tell about the greatness of my God and to start showing care and concern for somebody else, particularly my enemy. <clears throat> or am I going to think, no, this is just the thing. I, captive or free, my heart is to actually tell about God and to share about his greatness. It challenges me. There's boldness and there's courage. You know, I love the way that God often, this is not a standalone incident, God often seems to use young, young insignificant people to bring glory to him. I'm thinking of Samuel, who was just a boy. And yet he heard God. He heard God and he spoke what God was saying to him. I'm thinking about David. You know, his brothers completely dismissed him. They didn't even bother getting him in from looking after the sheep because he was so insignificant. And yet he was the one who actually shamed all his brothers and the whole army of Israel because he said, no, no, this is just, well, yeah, it's just another, another bloke. We've got God on our side. I'm going to, we can defeat Goliath. We can defeat the Philistines. God used just a, a young lad. Think about the, the boy that in, with Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000 just... He was there. He could have kind of hidden his sandwiches and stuff and fish and bread and kind of not shared it. But actually, it was like, yeah, no, I can share that. I, I'm here. Yeah, come on. Let, this is all I've got. But God, God uses. God uses even the insignificant. I, I just wonder whether sometimes, kind of before the cynicism of older years comes on, 
that actually there's a kind of youthful boldness and a belief that actually God could use me. <clears throat> God could use me. <clears throat> Later on, there's lots of battles with kind of like, yeah, well, I've, been, I've seen this. I've seen this a tons of times. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you wait till you get older. And yet, God takes younger people and, he's, and says, actually, I can use you and I want to use you for my purposes. And this girl is just the example of that. She, she brought salvation to a nation because she just spoke up. You think, what did she do? She just spoke up. She just said, I, I know a man who. <clears throat> and sometimes that's, that's all God's asking us. God's just asking us to say, in that situation, just, actually, can I just stop you there? And I know a man who. I know a man called Jesus that could change your life. I know a man who. That's what God calls us to. We um, we had a great time this week. Uh, as elders, we went down to uh, and, and Chris as well. We went down to a new ground um, prayer days, and uh, we were hearing some great testimonies of people that just believed that God could use them. There was this particularly moving uh, couple with a. Three kids, two, two teenage girls and a, a younger lad who were going to Cairo. If you want to read about it, you can look on the Newground website. It's kind of a front, uh, a front page uh, story. And um, they, you see these girls there. These, they, they came up the front and we prayed for them. And they're going to Cairo. It's like, I guess you, you, know, you speak Arabic then. Eh? It's like, no, no, we, we've got to learn the language and... We're going to go there. Why? Well, because we just believe that God's calling us there. And we're going to, you know, he's got a business that's over here and he's going to set up the business over there. And, and you're just, you're looking at it. And I tell you, every one of us was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this, this, is, this is big stuff. You know, this is big stuff. And we just heard some great stories of different uh, other things around Europe, different churches being planted. We heard about a young Muslim that's just got saved in France, and it's tough in France seeing people get saved, but this, this Muslim came through and with lots of animosity from his family, and yet believing God. You know, God wants to do the same here. He wants to use you and me for his purposes, even when we feel insignificant. Um, yeah, yeah, must be talking about somebody else, that person over there. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's you. God wants to use you to tell about him, to use you to see churches planted, to see people saved. God can use you. The end result for this girl was that her actions helped see not only Naaman healed, but he confesses the Lord as the only God. She affects that whole nation. And what an amazing thing, this young girl. 
It's a great story, isn't it? Going to take you on next to the next character that I want to talk about. And the next character um, we see is really about the, the response of the king of Israel, who you think is probably Jeroboam. Okay. Now, Naaman hears from his wife about this healing prophet in Samaria and speaks to his king, and the king follows through the proper international protocol. He sends a letter uh, to the king of Israel, so one king to another king, with a large amount of gold and silver and clothing, as we've heard. And um, the king of Israel, upon reading the letter, he is desperate. He's outraged. But you, it's an interesting thing. What does this tell us about this man after what you just heard about this young girl? What does this tell us? This is the king of Israel. What does it tell us about the king of Israel? <clears throat> He's like, you're asking me to heal this guy? What do I, I mean, you know, how can I do that? Well, you know, I don't have the answers. Do you think I'm God or something? What does it tell us about him? It tells us, how come he didn't know about Elijah? Yeah? You see, this little girl who got captured knows, and you, the king of Israel, don't know. The first thing you should be thinking is, oh, no problem. We have prophet Elijah who's a fantastic guy and God's using him mightily and we'll just get you straight along there how come he doesn't know this stuff now he must know about Elisha because Elisha hears about him and talks to him so it's not like he's completely ignorant about it but he obviously he obviously isn't in that place where he's thinking yeah He's a mighty prophet of God, and we just need to get him along there. He, he is ignorant and foolish. Let's just read that again. Um, it says, yeah, <clears throat> he's, he's ignorant. It's funny, isn't it? You've got this thing where you've got this king who... Actually, his main job, let's face it, is supposed to be helping his people actually come into the purposes of God and to know about the Lord Almighty. That is his chief responsibility, isn't it? To actually help his people. That's what he should be doing. And yet here we see he is ignorant of it. It's in front of his face, and yet he's ignorant of it. The Bible says in Corinthians 1, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. I tell you, this verse is... So true in this situation. And it's true in our situation too. 
let me just ask you. God is at work. God is at work today. It's not, we're not talking about a historical Jesus. We're talking about a living Christ who is at work in his church today. He's at work here in Edinburgh today. Do you know that? Are you aware of it? Or are you like the king of Israel who has just seemed to be disconnected even though it was right in front of him, even though he had this amazing man of God that God was using, and yet he was ignorant of it. He didn't point Naaman along to him. It took Elijah himself to hear about the the ripping of his clothes to actually get in touch and to say, send him along to me. Are you like that? Are Are you unaware Because God says, smell the coffee. See what I am doing here today. And know that I can change your life, and I can change your friend's life, and I can change your parent's life. Come along to an Alpha course, if you don't know, which we're running. Find out. Talk to a friend. And say, tell me more about this Jesus, because I really need to know. Next we go on. And this one I'm calling Naaman. This is about Naaman. Well, let's look at him. How, how does he come out in this? Well, unfortunately, he gets really offended, first of all. He, I call it Naaman gets the hump. Okay, that's how we'd say it in our modern day. Um, so Elisha hears about this ripping of the clothes and he sends word to Naaman. He says, bring him to me so that he will know there is a prophet in Israel. Because obviously the king's not going to say it. So Elisha decides that he actually doesn't need to physically meet Naaman himself. So he sends word by his servant Gehazi that if he simply washes in the Jordan seven times, He'll be completely clean and healed. You, you would think that Naaman, by this point, with this terrible skin condition, would be pretty desperate and say, gosh, is that all I've got to do? Fantastic, let's just get on with it. But instead, what do we see? We see him getting upset. He gets all steamed up about it. Maybe he's just used to getting rather first-class treatment. I mean, I mean, come on, commander of the army here. I can't even be bothered to come out and see me himself. You know, what a, you know I want him coming. I want him, I want him praying over me or calling to God or whatever he's going to do. I want to do all that sort of stuff. All he does is he sends his servant. He just says, uh, sorry, uh, Naaman, yeah, uh, go and wash in the Jordan uh, seven times, right? I'm not having that. Outrageous. I'm not used to that kind of treatment. Can't even, sending his servant along to see me. And then he gets upset because he's like, and as he more, you can see it. The more he thinks about it, he's thinking, and the Jordan. I mean, oh yeah, it's got to be some kind of Israel River, isn't it? I mean, why couldn't it be one of ours? I mean, if it's just a matter of getting washed in the river, why couldn't it? I could have done that back home. Why'd I have to come all this way? Get washed in this river. 
do you know what? We can respond just like this. Before we get all judgmental and kind of like, yeah, terrible, we, we can respond just like this. We go, don't we? And we can just be people who are like, man, God's kind of asked us to do something very simple. And we can get all riled about it. We get all kind of like, listen, that might be okay for those guys, but I mean, you know, this is me you're talking about here. This is, you know, I, I'm expecting a bit of first-class treatment. You know, don't, don't just fault me off for those kind of things. I, you know, this is, you know, this is how I want to do it. I'm, I, and I don't know why I have to go over there and do it. I mean, I could do it here. We're just like that. We have exactly this kind of heart that's in us at times. So let's face it with the baptism. We had baptisms the last week that people performed. And you get that thing of, well, I don't know why I should go in the water. I mean, what's so special about the water? I don't know. It's, it's not special about the water. It's just something that God said. I don't know why God said it. But he did. And he says, no, no. Follow me. Confess, your, confess me as your Lord and Savior. And then get baptized in water. I don't know really why he says that. Except that, because a child can go and get washed in the water. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm an intellectual person. You know, I mean, I don't know why I should kind of go in the water. I mean, what's, what's, the, what's all that about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about the same thing that it was about for Naaman. Are you just willing... To humble yourself and to just obey me? Are you just willing to just go in the Jordan and wash? Are you just willing to do it? Or do you want some other kind of fancy thing that makes you feel like you've accomplished something? And eventually, of course, what we see is that he does fortunately obey his servant who says, well, for goodness sake, it's not a difficult thing to do. Why don't you just do it? If it's actually going to make you well, do it. And he does it, and he does get completely well. And he becomes a God follower in an amazing way. You know, it reminds me of the incident, again, of the Roman centurion in the New Testament. And Jesus is so... He really lifts up this guy. And the Roman centurion's servant is paralyzed. And he says, you don't need to go and see him. You just need to say the word, Jesus, and he'll be well. And Jesus is amazed at this guy's confidence and faith. And it reminds me of that. It's like, you don't actually have to physically go. Elisha didn't have to physically go. You just have to say, no, no, you're well. And in this case, Jesus just lifts it up and says, that is just amazing. And, and his servant did become well. So, don't be somebody who gets easily offended. Humble yourself, come to Christ. It may seem simplistic, but God's designed it that way. I think partly to see how really 
how much we really know we really need him and how much we're just kind of playing around. If you really need him, you'll follow it through. And you know what? I could just end it there. <clears throat> we, we could just end this story there. We could say, oh, that was great. You know, little girl, yeah, we got it, Matthew. Little girl, you know, Israel king, Naaman who gets the hump and then finally comes, submits. And that's, that's a great story. And he yeah, not only gets healed, but he, he, he actually comes to God and knows God. And that could be the end. <clears throat> but you know what? It's got a twist in the tale. The story has a twist in the tale. And there's another section that it doesn't just leave us there. It takes us to another point. As I said, you can follow this in uh, 2 Kings 5, 15 and onwards. Naaman not only gets healed, but he becomes a believer. He says, behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's his confession of faith. He wants to show his appreciation to Elisha and offers him a costly gift. However, Elisha declines the gift and sends him on his way. Naaman then asks if he can take some soil with him back to Aram. Sounds slightly funny to us, but uh, so that he can offer sacrifices to Israel's God, as it were, onto the holy ground, okay, so to speak. And uh, Elisha says, that's fine. And so off he goes and he takes this earth and, and he goes. However, Gehazi, remember who he is? He's Elisha's servant. He gets wind of this. He gets wind of the fact that Actually, Naaman was willing to offer quite a lot of cash um, as a kind of, thank you so much. And here's this, you know, I'd love to pay you back. Elisha says, no, no, sorry. Uh, it's fine. The whole thing was free. The whole thing was free. I, I, I don't want any payment for this thing. And Gehazi, he goes and catches up Naaman on his way back home. And without telling Elisha, and he spins a tale, and he says, actually, sort of, Elisha's had this kind of change of heart. And uh, many, because there's these two prophets have turned up to us, um, and I know he refused the money before, but could he have two changes of clothes and a talent of silver, just to kind of help these two, what was actually totally made up, prophets, okay? Because... Gehazi's wanting the cash himself. And so he's given these things and he goes off and hides them in his house and he thinks he's got away with it. And then Elisha calls him and says to him, where have you been? And Gehazi lies. And we're going to pick it up in verse 26. And Elisha says, did not my heart go with you? When the man turned from his chariot to meet you, is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And so he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. It's quite a... Quite a turn, isn't it, at the end here? Why? Let me ask you this question. Why do you think it is 
that God treats this so importantly? Why is it such a strong thing that happens to Gehazi? Well, I will tell you. And this is a really important point, which I've left to last. And it's just... What Elisha was demonstrating, as we heard earlier, was that he wanted the name of God to be proclaimed. He wanted this foreign king, his army commander, to hear about the God of Israel and how mighty he is. And... He did that, but the problem is that he was then offered this money and he also needed it to be, it's a free gift. I'm not charging you. I'm not like one of your kind of magicians back home or kind of witch doctors or whatever who kind of does this for a living and kind of like, oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll do some healing and now this is the payment, you know. He's saying, no, no. I'm doing this for God. This is about demonstrating who God is. This isn't just me making a fast buck here. This is about actually the God's name be proclaimed. And the important thing is that the gospel is free. Sadly, we look throughout history and there's been lots of people, a bit like Gehazi, who've seen a way of making a fast buck out of God's free gift God gave his son freely so that we could have forgiveness of all our sin, restoration of relationship, healing, freedom, eternal life, no catches, no debt, no deals. It's free. You can take the gift and walk away and do nothing for God. Anything else is payment in disguise. Either it is a free gift or it's debt and paying back. The New Testament, Paul speaks in Romans 6 and he says, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we get that up? I'll say that again. The wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift of God. What does that mean? If it's a free gift of God, then it's not payback time, it's a gift. If I give you a gift, I'm not going to say, oh, and by the way, it cost me, you know, 23 pounds. If you could just pay that, send me a standing order and pay it back to me over incremental times, and that'd be great, okay? 
It's not a gift then, is it? Don't mishear me. I truly believe that if we have been born again, at the moment that God has changed our heart, justified us, we no longer want to go on living for ourselves or in sin, but we desire to live out the rest of our lives given over to pleasing Christ, released to give all we have to honor him. But it's not because of a motive of paying him back. My bank owns my house, or a large part of it. I am paying back them with a mortgage. If I don't pay the mortgage, finally, they will take the house. You will never see in the bank statement, actually, I've given you this house as a free gift, Matthew. <laughs> if, if it was truly mine and given as a gift, then I could say, well, I, I, actually, I don't need to pay this, do I? I, I, I've decided, I think, thank you for the kind of offer of kind of the generosity, thank you, bank, uh, of your generosity and actually giving it to me. Um, I, I, and the sort of option that I could give back or I, I could not, I, I've decided not to. Is that okay? I can just keep it anyway? I can't do that, can I? But I want to say that it's so important that we hear this, that that is the way it is with knowing Christ. He says, you know, I gave everything. I gave my whole life for you but I gave it as a free gift. I gave it to you, and you can do what you want with it now. If you want to honor me with your life, great. If actually you walk away, then it's still a gift. It's not going to be, oh, well, actually, now I've changed my mind. And this is why this is so important. This is why this issue is absolutely key. It's humbling receiving a gift, isn't it? Often we, in ourselves, we feel better because we feel less indebted, actually, when somebody gives us a big gift, particularly something that we can't really afford, and actually says, so says here it is, and we say, okay. Can I um, just get the band? Oh, thanks. No. Um, Naaman's healing was totally beyond his control. He'd probably been suffering for years and years, and yet he received this gift of healing and salvation. And he was just trying to be like anyone else and saying, oh, well, here you go. I'll give you some money for that. And Elisha drew the line and said, no way. And that's why. That's why it was such an important issue and why Gehazi was actually turning it around and by going along and saying, oh, well, now you can pay. He was completely turning what is God's free gift up on its end. The very thing that God was doing by actually demonstrating his greatness Gehazi had turned around for his own profit. God feels very strongly about that. I'm going to leave you with three don'ts and two do's. Don't be like Jeroboam, the king of Israel, who is ignorant and out of touch. Don't get offended like Naaman. And don't be like Gehazi, Elisha's servant who thought he could charge for a free gift of God or come under false teaching that says that you do. But be, do 
like the insignificant girl who changed a nation because she believed God and allowed and believed that God could use her to do it. And be like Naaman at the end, who he did listen to advice, he did humble himself, he did get washed in the Jordan. And even today, you can do the same. You can actually ask God to say, I'm going to humble myself.